0: Testament Greek class. Uh, we taught this, well, it was exactly one year ago. <laughs> exactly one year ago. This is actually the fourth time I've taught it. Last time I greatly overhauled the notes, and so I really don't have a lot of changes this time. So notes are pretty much the same as last year. So if you have last year's notes, you're not missing anything. <laughs> it's, it's all still the same. If something changes, I'll give it to you. I am considering two changes. Uh, one would be to add. There's nothing in there for the insights, and so I'm thinking about putting a a list at the end of the thing, at uh, the, the end of the booklet, the list, uh, a summary of what the insight is and, and the scriptures that were involved. And then I also thought about putting an index in the back, so that if you're reading a commentary and the commentary says this is an error subjunctive, you go, I don't remember what that is, but I know Bruce talked about it, and so you can go back to your notes and have this index and go, and find where. That was talked about under verbs, and that's my thought anyways. I want to try to make it a little bit easier to use as a reference whenever you're um, studying something and you come across a a Greek grammatical term and need to find it and and not sure where to look. So those are a couple of things I'm planning on adding this year. Well, let's see. Let's just go ahead and get started. You know what? I think before we get into all this, I'm going to jump up to the alphabet um, because if we're going to go over this, I'm going to try to help you to learn the alphabet. This is really all you have to learn, this and some pronunciation rules. After that, there's not a lot of memorization. It's just a matter of being exposed to the information to know how the Greek language works. It's a highly inflected language, and that probably doesn't mean anything to you now, but it will, you know, in the next few weeks, you'll, you'll say, okay, I see how, th- how this works. And that's really what I want you to get out of it. And what I also hope that you get out of it is maybe a desire to go further and learn, Actually, get into learning Greek, and uh, we're hoping that when this is done, that we will be able to start a readers group, and we'll use what's called an inductive method, where you learn Greek by reading Greek. So we'll use the grammar, and we'll just read Greek in the grammar, begin to learn it. But then we'll, like for a half hour, then just an hour session, then the second half hour, we'll actually just start going through the Gospel according to John, or First John or second John something we'll, we'll start going through a book of the Bible and just going through and finding uh, insights and and uh, again still just learning uh, Greek and uh, Bonnie and I both feel that the real fun, the candy uh, as she sometimes calls it, is reading the scriptures and you will be doing that in this class you're going to learn how to you're going to learn the alphabet you're going to learn pronunciation rules, and I'll help you we'll work through it and you'll actually start reading through part of John chapter 1 in this class. Not today, but <laughs> in a week or so. So let's just go through the alphabet. You can find that on, that's probably, what about page 3 or something, I'm guessing. I don't have a setup here with me. Page 3. Okay, page 3. And we'll just, we'll go over the pronunciation. Uh, we have the uppercase letter and the lowercase letter. We have the name. We have how you pronounce the name in kind of a phonic uh, format. And then we have how you would spell it in Greek. And the good thing about this is that as you're learning the names and you look at beta, okay, you can see beta, beta. But you look at this and you see, okay, that's the, the beta, eta, tau, and alpha, Um I have to be careful because sometimes I will stand up here and say Hebrew letters. <laughs> and so I, so I started to say Tav, and I go, no, it's not Tav. It's uh, Tau for Greek. So if I, I'll, try to, I'll try not to do that, but it's, sometimes I can't help it. Right now, this is the only extra one I have. Uh, I'll need to print up an extra set for you, okay? But you can share that one for now, right now, and we'll, get, we'll, we'll make sure we get another one for you. And so it actually will help you in understanding how to pronounce these things, if you know how to pronounce it over here, and you see it in Greek, g- gamma. Okay, I can see that, you know. And you, and so that's what that's for. This tells you what the letter sounds like when you see it in a word. And some of them, like iota, you have two. You have i as in fit, but sometimes when you see an iota, especially when it's got an accent mark, it'll be the E is in machine, the I is in machine, it'll be the E sound, E. But anyway, let's just start, start going through them. Uh, it's good if you can memorize the uppercase ones, that's, that's good. What's essential? The lowercase ones. Because most of the Greek New Testaments that you'll look at, whether in an app or on, um, uh, uh, you buy a, a Greek New Testament or something, they're mostly going to be lowercase letters, so that's, Where you want to concentrate. Learn the lowercase ones first. Get good at those. And then you can throw the uppercase ones in. So we'll point at this one. And this is alpha. And it makes the sound of A as in father. It's ah. It's always ah. It's not ah or a. It's always ah as in father. Alpha. Beta as in like the fish. Um, It's the B sound. B as in ball. Gamma. It's a G sound, as in gone. Uh, always a hard G, never a J, but a G. It's always a G. Uh, unless, well, there's some other rules. Right now, let's just go with that. There are some other rules about how this one sounds by letters that follow it. We're not going to worry about that. We'll come to that later. Delta. D sound. Epsilon. A short E sound. Not a long E, just a short E. Epsilon. Zeta. This actually has a little D sound in front of it. Zeta. DZ. Zeta. Like AIDS. Days. No, no, not days. AIDS. Yeah, AIDS is good. Eta. It's the E sound as in they. A. Theta. TH sound as in throne. Eota. Again it's, most of the time it's a short I sound, although sometimes it's a long I sound, A e It sounds like a long E actually as far as English is concerned. Kappa, just like a K. Lambda. Moo. Some say Mu like a kitty cat or something, but moo is how I learned it, and most of the people I know of say moo and I'm teaching you the most I want to teach you the most common pronunciations of things. Uh, that, that would be used in scholarly circles. Uh, if you're talking to somebody at a seminary who's had Greek, you want to say it this way because that's the way they're going to understand it. Okay? Uh, this is not the modern Greek. I'll, I'll give you the modern Greek pronunciations later. But right now, we just want to co- uh, concentrate on getting these uh, with the koine, the old koine sounds. Okay? Then we have new and this. The same people that say mu say new, but it's, I just say mu and new. But it's the N sound. It looks like a V, but it's not a V. That's a new. C. It's kind of an X sound. Likes. Uh, sounds like likes. Omicron. It is the short O sound. Now, there's some people who will pronounce that long O, but then you have no distinction between that and an omega, because omega is the long O. So have omicron. Is a soft O, or short O. Is an optic. I know that looks like pi, but it's P. That's how it's pronounced, P. And it is indeed a P sound. I know that looks like a P, but it's not. It's rho. And rho is in her without the E. It's the HR sound. Uh, when it's the first letter of a word. But if it's in the middle of the word, it's just an R sound. Then sigma has two. Sigma is the S sound, is in sign, but it's got two forms. It looks like the one on the left when it's in the middle of a word. If it comes at the end of the word, it's a, that's called a final form. And that's the only final form in Greek. When you get into Hebrew, there are about five final forms. But for Greek, there's just one, and that's sigma. So it'll look like that at the end of the word. Tau looks like a T and sounds like a T. Upsilon looks like a U and sounds like a... Uh, a short uh, uh, U, nu, u, it's u, oopsalon. And phi, it looks like some people say phi, but it's phi, and it's the ph, f sound, phi. Chih, this one you gotta scrape the back of your throat a little bit. Chi, as in Bach. And then psi, which is a ps sound, as in lips. It's the ps sound. And then finally, omega, the last letter, and it's the long O sound, as in ode. Okay, now that we've gone through that, I just want to introduce you to it. I want to help you to try to learn it. I can't make you learn it. You're going to have to work on it on your own. But in class, we will go over it, and we'll go over it, and we'll go over it to try to help you to learn it uh, as well as we can. So, going back to the front. Congratulations. Your interest in Koine Greek shows a desire to understand God's Word better. Psalm 119.63 says, I'm a companion of all who fear you and those who keep your precepts. And if you love God's word enough to want to get into it more, I am your companion and I want you to ask me questions. That's why I want to get my email address up there so you can, if you have questions, you can ask me because I want to help you as much as I can. Consider me your servant in this. I want to help you learn Greek. It's, uh, It's very much worth the effort. And I hope that when we get to the insights, you will see that it really is worth the effort. Uh, the insights, I'm not doing word studies. I could easily do word studies. But what we're going to be looking at is the way that the language works, the way it's put together, and emphases, emphasises, emphasis whatever, the points of emphasis, <laughs> we want to see those um, in the way that it's said. And a lot of cases, our English translations have a difficult time conveying that point of emphasis. And so whether we're talking about verbs, we'll have insights based on verb tenses and things like that. So whatever we talk about, that's what we're going to try to look at and see how that is significant to us uh, in knowing how Greek works and how that affects what uh, English tra- how we would understand the English translation. If you've ever been curious about biblical languages but have been cautious about forking out the cash for a class, this course is for you. This costs nothing. <laughs> If you ever wanted to be able to stick your toe in the water before jumping into a Greek class, this course is for you. If you wanted to learn about Greek the Greek New Testament but have been afraid of all the memorization required to learn a language, this course is for you. The only thing we have to memorize is the alphabet and some pronunciation rules. That all is going to be in the first two weeks, and after that, you're skating through. Don't get like two weeks into it and go, this is too hard, and drop out. After two weeks, you've had the worst of it. <laughs> after that, you don't have a whole lot of homework to do. So please stick with it at that point. If you know that you uh, want to learn Greek and are looking for a good starting point, this course is for you. Uh, This course I talked about, there's a grammar, the inductive grammar to learn Greek. Once you've completed this and you've learned the pronunciation rules, you've learned the alphabet and everything, you are ready and, and you have some of the grammatical concepts under your belt. You will be ready to hit the ground running with this particular grammar that does the inductive it's it's by um a man by dobson uh not the focus on the family dobson but a different dobson and uh if you go through this and you do your homework and everything you learn what you're supposed to do you'll be ready to hit that running and that's what I'm hoping to do with this readers group later Uh, if you've been out of school for a long time and don't remember English grammar, this course is for you because we will actually look at English grammar. We'll talk about parts of speech and we'll talk about the English part of it and then we'll look, contrast that to the Greek part of it. Sometimes they're similar. Sometimes they have some vast differences. And so we'll, we'll look at that. We will talk about English grammar so that you can feel comfortable looking at the Greek grammar. If the thought of reading the Greek New Testament Excites you? This course is for you. As I said, we will be reading from John chapter one. Uh, probably start that next week. If you're wanting to know more about tools that can help you understand the Greek New Testament better, this class is for you. I will be talking about that. that'll be towards the end of the class, but I'll talk about different tools that you can use uh, to help you. And if you want to make a better use of commentaries, better understand when they refer to the Greek text and grammatical terms, this class is for you. I will cover every major grammatical term, and you'll be able to look it up. If you're looking in a commentary or something, you'll be able to see what it is. If you want to learn about insights from the Greek New Testament that are not obviously in the English translation, this class is for you. I already talked about that. If you want to learn about translations and how to use them, this class is for you. And if you love God's Word and want to grow, this class is for you. So congratulations on you being a part of it. I was going to pull this slide, but then I realized there's a number of you here that I really don't know, but I'm looking forward to getting to know you. <laughs> but I don't know you yet. But I thought maybe I'll introduce myself first. Uh, I've actually been studying Greek for almost 40 years, 39, for 39 years. Uh, I, took, uh, ex- I took Greek 1 and 2, exegesis 1 and 2 at Friends University in Wichita, Kansas. That's how I got started. And then I've continued to study grammars since then so I can keep up on un- new insights, uh, new, un- um, new uh, understandings of Greek and how it works. Um, I've also studied about the ancient manuscripts and the transmission of the New Testament through the years to us. Uh, Bonnie and I went to a boot camp. Well, that's actually a year ago, last January. Um, I need to update that. I just need to take that off and say we went to the boot camp. But anyway, we've gone to other classes and stuff. Uh, I continue studying grammars. Uh, we have a reader's group that meets every Saturday. We're from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and we used to read every Saturday morning with those guys. Well, now we phone conference in with them, and we still read Greek and Hebrew with them every Saturday morning. So all this keeps – plus we read a little bit of Hebrew and Greek every single day uh, in order just to, to stay with it. If you don't use it, you lose it, so we're making sure we use it. We will learn the Greek alphabet you will need to memorize it, recognize it, and write the lowercase letters. It will be good to get the uppercase ones too, but that's your main point of. For this week, that's your main point of uh, interest. You will learn a few pronunciation rules. We'll have more pronunciation rules next week. Uh, you will learn what transliteration is, but there's nothing for you to memorize with that. We'll look at uh, a brief history of Greek language and for a chronological context, but again, nothing for you to memorize. And then we'll have a short lesson with uh, Greek New Testament insight tonight. Of course, we're not studying grammar, so this is just... fact is, if you were here two weeks ago from yesterday, Pastor Tom asked me to do the announcement for this class and wanted me to share a little bit from one of the insights. So two of the slides from tonight you've seen during the announcements, if you saw that. Uh, but there are more than that uh, for this, for tonight. And, uh, and plus, we have new different ones every week. So, let's go through this together. This time I'll say it, and I want you to say it with me, okay? Or say it after me. Alpha. Alpha. Beta, beta. Gamma. gamma. Delta, delta. Epsilon. epsilon. Zeta, zeta. Zeta, zeta. Eta. Zeta. Theta. Zeta. Zeta, 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 zeta. Iota, iota. Kappa. Lambda, lambda. Mu. mu. Nu, nu. xi. Omicron. Omicron. P. P. Rho. Rho. Sigma. Sigma. Tau. Tau. Upsilon. Phi. Phi. chi, Psi. Psi. Omega. Omega. All right. Now, regarding transliteration, I don't know if I have a separate slide on that. In old books, if they were too... If it was too difficult or too expensive to actually use a Greek font, they would convert the Greek word into English letters and this is what transliteration is they'd see an alpha and they'd say a one time in Greek class I said something about the a and my professor said what and I said the, the a and he said uh what are you talking about I said ah I said the alpha he said you barbarian <laughs> but anyway whenever you're reading some of these older books, and they put it in English letters. This is what they do. They put it over here. And so notice when they have the eta, they make it a, looks like a long E. And your temptation would be to just pronounce that E. But that is not E. It's A as in they. The, but that's how you, they differentiated between that one and the epsilon. The epsilon looked like an E. So how do you say eta looks like an E? Well, they, they made it like that. So even if you're looking at something like a Strong's Concordance, if you've got a Strong's Concordance, you're looking up things in the back in the dictionary, and they'll have the Greek word, but then they have the Greek word written in English letters, and that's the way they'll do it. It's just like this. And then you get the TH sound, but this does not tell you how to pronounce it. This only tells you how to translate it if you see it written. You can take this and go back and reformulate what the word is. And once you've learned the alphabet, why wouldn't you not use the real thing <laughs> so that's what transliteration is uh, and that's about all I'm going to say on it now there are some pronunciation rules I told you this gamma is a G sound and it's a hard G G now there is there are some exceptions if the gamma comes before a kappa a xi or a chi or if it comes before another gamma it has a nasal sound like NG and we have that like angle. If you have two G's to get, well, you, angle doesn't have two G's, but angel uh, angel in Greek has two G's. And it, it, it's angelos, angelos. It's the, you have that on, it, NG sound. Um, we'll, we'll probably run across some examples of that once we start reading in Greek, but Uh, When you have two two gammas together or a gamma before either any of these letters, it will sound like NG. Most of the time an iota sounds like the I in intrigue, the first I in intrigue, in i, just an I sound. Um, Often when it's accented, it sounds like the second one. It will be an E sound, intrigue, E, uh, like a long E. in, In English, a long E sound. The G has a slight scraping of the back of the throat sound. Every word that begins with hro or upsilon begins with an H sound. We'll cover that next week. That's called a breathing mark. Don't worry about it. It's just something we'll learn next week. These are just exceptions to the normal pronunciation. There are no silent letters in Greek. That's good news. (laughs) I would hate to have to learn English as a second language. Uh, you have all these weird rules. Then you have I before E, except after C, except for neighbor and for, and you, you have all these exceptions, and that's the way English is. Greek is not nearly so bad about that. Uh, so there are no silent letters. And as I mentioned before, the sigma that looks like an S, except that this is actually a descender, this comes below the line, um, that's only when it's the last letter of a word. Everywhere else it looks like the little O with a flag on the top, Sigma. So we have letters that look very, this, this, and this isn't that hard. Um, my, one of the, one of our friends in our readers group up in Sioux Falls, he teaches Greek and Hebrew at the Sioux Falls Seminary. And he said, you start off with Greek laughing and end up crying. And that's the stuff, the crying part is the stuff you won't be getting into. <laughs> okay. But the starting off laughing, that's what we're going to start off with. But he said, when you read Hebrew, when you start learning Hebrew, you start off crying and end up laughing. Uh, And when we do the intro to Hebrew class, hopefully in January you might get to understand that too. But the reason why you can start off Greek with laughing is because there's so much of it that looks familiar. You know, you can look at that and you say, well, that looks like an A, alpha. That's, That's not hard. I can do that, you know. And this... Got a little tail on it, but aside from that, it looks just like a B. And this has got a curve to it, but outside of that, it looks pretty much like a D. Looks like an E. Looks like an I. Looks like a K, and so forth. And the last, the final form, looks like an S, and uh, looks like a T. Looks like a U. And that's they are very similar. There are Greek letters that sound like their English counterparts. Alpha sounds like a A, as in father. Beta sounds like B, as in boy. Gamma sounds like G as in great, uh, dog, uh, whatever. You know, you can go through all of these sound pretty much the same, Knowing, keeping in mind this is not a P, that's rho. sounds like an R, R sound. And that is not a V, that's a new, and it's an N sound. But you can kind of see this kind of looks like a little bit like an M. Um, but anyway, they have sounds that are similar to the English sounds. Things to watch out for. Adas. Adas are not ins. That'll be something you'll have to watch yourself on. News are not v's. Rows are not p's. Chi is not an x. And omega is not a w. So those will just be things that you'll have to watch when you're pronouncing. Uh, it's very common for people new to the language, new to pronouncing to, to see that and make a v, see a new and make a v sound or something like that. Note that the lowercase but some lowercase letters have descenders, so there's a little tail to the beta, there's a little tail to the gamma, which is not unsimilar to English. We have tails at the end of G, J, Y, uh, there's another one at P, Q. Those all lowercase letters, we have descenders, Greek does too. So the beta, gamma, zeta, eta, mu, xi, see the little tail goes below, rho, sigma, this is the final form for sigma, it's got the little tail that goes down below. Phi, chi, the end of it, sits below the line. And PC, the vertical line, goes below the uh, print line there. If you have your Big Chief tablet out and you're writing these practicing, that's the way you, you want to make sure you get your descenders in there. I don't even know if they make Big Chief tablets anymore, but that's <laughs> But you know what I mean. The ones with all the lines on them, okay? Alphabet comparison. Um, we, we kind of did that, but there's no corresponding thing for C. Of course, C is going to either make an S sound or a K sound, you know, so it's not needed because we have both of those covered with sigma and kappa. Um, H, H is covered by what's called a rough breathing mark. That's next week. Don't worry about it right now. And J, J is actually a relatively new letter to the English alphabet. It was not invented until 1524 by an Italian. And he was trying to separate out two different sounds that the I made. And so he came up with a J. That's why a J looks so much like an I. It's just a, it's an I with a descender curve on it. And, and that's where it came from. That's why all these names in the Bible, like Jesus, we say Jesus. We, we change that to a J. In fact, every name, Joshua, Jacob, Joseph, uh, all the names that Yehu or Jehu or whatever you might want to say it in English, uh, they don't. none of those begin with J's. There were no J's. There were no J's until just a few, well, whatever, 400 years back or so. So J is a relatively new one, and so there's no corresponding letter there. Q, uh, yeah, Q doesn't have a corresponding V, W, and Y, but... Um, Y is kind of replaced by the iota as well so there's just and then here's the Greek letters that have no corresponding these are the English letters and the corresponding Greek letters These are the Greek letters that have no corresponding Eta is long e uh, is a uh, e is in they a th ch p s and then if we since we include an omicron with o then we, omega is on its own so well, let's see. Memorization tips: pronounce the letters out loud as you write them. And I don't know what works best for you. If you have alpha, beta, gamma, delta. Okay, I can remember those four. I'm going to build with those four. Then just work on it when you don't. You know, when you're when you're someplace you're waiting waiting in line somewhere. You're uh, sitting at a stoplight. Uh, keep your eye on the stoplight so the guy behind you doesn't doesn't honk. But <laughs> you can just you know run through them and then you go well. You know, the next letter after D is E, and so after Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, then the next one's Epsilon. That's E, so, you know, you can just build on that, and uh, however works best for you. But go over it. So, to me, it helps to write them out. Just write them. And um, you might want to write them out, you know, Alpha, 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 Alpha. Beta, 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 beta. But at some point, you want to start writing them out you know, to get used to how they look and everything. But then one, then after you've done that, then you want to start writing them out in order, saying them out loud when you do it, writing them in sequence. Because it's good to know them in sequence because sometimes you might be in a case, a situation where you know, it's really easy if you tap on it and it tells you what the Greek word is and takes you to the dictionary and you can look it up. However, if you happen to have a book dictionary in front of you, you better know the alphabetical order, right? That's just the way dictionaries work. Lexicon is what they call it. For Greek, Um, so pronounce the letters as you write them out. Pronounce them consistently. Don't say uh, beta beta, or whatever. Say it the same way, beta, it's beta. Beta, 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 okay? Transliteration, oh, I do have slides on transliteration. Uh, You don't have to memorize it. I already told you about all they did was convert Greek letters into English letters. Uh, Doesn't have anything to do with how they're pronounced. Oh, and I do have an example here, though. Please note that if they wanted to represent the letter epsilon, they would use e. But for the letter eta, they use e with a line over the top. Looks like a long e. However, it's still pronounced a, as in they. Um, the letter o represents omicron. O along o is omega. That kind of makes sense. One of the places where I see this a lot is they'll look at you look at your um, Strong's concordance, and it has the Bema seat. A lot of people say bema seat because they see the e with the long line over the top of it, and in English that means e, but in Greek that doesn't mean e. It means a. It's a bema seat, actually, the judgment seat of Christ, the bema seat. Uh, I usually just say the judgment seat of Christ, and that avoids all, <laughs> all confusion, <laughs> because there are lots of there are a number of betas, uh, betas. Bema, there's a number of Bema seats uh, in the Bible. Uh, Pilate had one. Um, uh, Festus had one. Um, there, there's a number of them that had Bema's used for a number of different people in the New Testament. Ancient New Testament manuscripts were all originally written in uppercase letters. But, like I say, most of the texts that you look at today, whether it's on the Internet or whether it's on an app, or whether it's uh, whether you buy uh, a Greek New Testament, they're going to be mostly using Lowercase letters, but the originals, the manuscripts uh, magis- magis- were written with all uppercase letters, no spaces, no punctuation or accent marks, and so the first words of John one one look like this, all run together. Well, you can go through and say, "There's N, and here's Arche, Ain, Ha, Lagos." Uh, if you're just saying it, since there are no silent letters, and you're just pronouncing every letter. It'll come out right when you're reading it. Ain't archa ain't It's just, it, that's what it says. But um, around the 6th century AD, they began to use a cursive script, which gives us our lowercase. And so it looks like this. in your in fact, probably next week, I'll probably be giving you a page with some of the first part of John 1.1 on it, and we'll be using that to read from. And you'll see that it's like this. n arche, a i n halagos. Lowercase letters except for the initial epsilon there. That's uppercase, and the rest of them are lowercase. History of the Greek language. Why is history of the Greek language important? Uh, we're just going to learn Koine Greek. We're not learning modern Greek. We're not learning classical Greek. Then why is it important as well? It's just pretty cool the way God did it. After the Tower of Babel, people did not communicate across cultures very much, because we had to learn somebody else's language, and there was just some difficulty in that. Well, you had the Babylonians come in and they took over the whole world, right? And the Jews were dispersed to Babylon. And at that time, Aramaic had a strong influence on Hebrew because that was they're similar, same alphabet, a little bit different. But still, the whole world didn't speak Aramaic either. And then the Medes and the Persians overpowered the Babylonians. And still, if you traveled widely, you still couldn't talk to anybody. Then Alexander the Great. uh, There's more information in your notes on this. My talking is not a replacement of the notes. Please read the notes as well. But Alexander the Great was taught by... um, Aristotle and he learned the Greek that he learned was uh, Attic. It's, the dialect was Attic. When Alexander the Great conquered the world, he said, "You all need to speak the same language I do." And so uh, his form of Greek, the Attic Greek, it was a, which is one of the classical Greeks, that got dispersed everywhere. Why is this important? Well, for the first time since the Tower of Babylon, the whole world were speaking the same language. You could go anywhere, and as a second language, everybody knew Greek. Now, the Romans came in and conquered the, the Greeks. What did the Romans do? They built roads. So then Jesus came, and when the gospel went out, the gospel would go out, and you, you could go anywhere, anywhere in the known world, and speak Greek to that other person. You can communicate with each other, and you could get there easier because of the roads. God set up everything in advance for the gospel to go out. And that's why some of this history is important, how, how all this came about. It's the sovereignty of God and his workings in the affairs of men that we see that God set everything up the way he wanted it to further the gospel so the people come to Jesus Christ and be saved. There is an older form of Greek, and we really don't have any manuscripts of anything. We only find it in inscriptions, or like chiseled in a rock. That's the only place we see it. And they'd call it some people call it linear B, some people call it pre-Homeric, um, but we only have inscription evidence. We don't really have any literary remains. Then classical era started about one, or 1000 B.C. to 330 B.C., so 330 years before Christ, and then it died out. Um, There were different dialects of Greek and and then classical. Some some people say like Attic Greek, that's classical Greek. That's like saying an apple is a fruit. An apple is a fruit, but not every fruit is an apple. You know, it's a category underneath that. And so Attic would be a category. This Ionic, Attic is a derivative or a a dialect under Ionic But these were the these are different uh, dialects of classical Greek, and, and those are some of the writers Homer, Herodotus, uh, Hippocrates. Uh, those are people who wrote. They have we have ancient manuscripts that uh, that we have to this day that they wrote they wrote in this style. Classical Greek Attic is a branch of Ionic and was a dialect of Athens. And, during the golden age of classical Greek. This was the, the, the uh, classical Greek of the philosophers. Uh, classical Greek refers to all three dialects but is often referred to, used to refer to Attic. Attic was the precise dialect used by philosophers like Plato. And the golden age of Greek literature effectively died with, with Aristotle in 322 B.C. And so languages are not fixed. Languages change Pick up a King James Bible. Pick up one older than that. Pick up one of the Geneva Bibles or something. You'll find out, I, I know English real well, but I cannot read this. <laughs> or this is very difficult. This is very hard to read because languages change. Um, w- words change. Text used to be a noun, and now it's a verb. <laughs> you text somebody on the phone, it's now a verb. And so, languages are fluid. When Alexander the Great said you had to learn my language he taught them that, but these are people's second language, and so there were changes. There, were, why Greek? Okay, why why was it important for God to get Greek surrounding the world? Just because Greek is such an exact, uh, it's um, what are some of the words I'm looking for? It's um, precise. It is um, it is nuanced. It has. I um, can't think of the other word I want. But anyway, it's it's just a very, very precise language. And that's why it it was uh, a good choice by God. (laughs) Isn't that comforting to him to know that I think it was a good choice that he did it that way? (laughs) But it was a good choice to do it this way because, uh, well, like my Greek professor said, Dr. Hinshaw, he said, uh, if everybody could read Greek, we'd probably have fewer denominations because there'd be less ambiguity. Less ambiguity. It's a, is there ambiguity in Greek? Yes, there is some, but not like English. Not like we have in English. So, after the classical period, which ended at 330 BC, the Koine took over. Now, this is because everybody began to use uh, Greek as Alexander the Great had conquered the world. And some of the nuances that classical Greek had they weren't so much familiar with it so they became more exacting that's what I wanted exacting was the word they actually made some changes to Greek that made it more exact Um, things were repeated you say uh, you departed from from and you have from from it's just you have things that became the grammatical norm that make things more solid than what they used to be and so uh, this started 330 BC now about 300 B.C. to 100 B.C. is when they translated the Hebrew scriptures into Greek. And that's called the Septuagint. Its abbreviation is LXX, which is Roman numeral for 70, because the tradition says it was 70 men who worked on the translation. And that was done during this time period. We'd already gone to Koine Greek. Now, the Septuagint is a little bit different because it's a translation, but it's still Koine Greek, but it's also following Hebrew. And a lot of it's really pretty literal, but the uh, Septuagint is pretty literal to the Hebrew. So, born out of the conquest of Alexander the Great, the Greek troops had to speak the same dialect, so there was some merging there. And then the conquered cities had to learn it as a second language, so there was some merging there. By the first century A.D., Greek was the lingua franca of the whole Mediterranean region and beyond. You could go anywhere and talk to anybody because everybody knew Greek. Uh, this led to the loss of some subtleties. But it moved to greater explicitness. That's another word I was looking for. Greater explicitness. After that, then there's the Byzantine medieval Greek from 330 to 1453. Koine Greek was transformed into Byzantine Greek when Constantine was converted and Ecclesiastical Greek was born. When the empire split between East and West, the Roman Empire, split between East and West, uh, doesn't have anything to do with Star Wars. (laughs) never mind it wasn't funny anyway when the empire split between east and west uh, the Greek lost its world language status because the Latin was used in the western empire and Greek was used in the eastern empire Constantinople was the capital of course the western capital was still Rome there is modern Greek started in 1453 to the present and there are two levels of Greek there's the literary language and the spoken language uh, this would be Kathar Yousa and Dematike so that's what they call it in modern Greek as far as their literary language and their spoken language and I really don't I don't do modern Greek <laughs> I just I read the New Testament that's why I use Greek I don't I, I, I but I will give you the differences uh, later uh, probably in next week's notes Okay, we're gonna go through it again. Got a little bit bigger this time. Uh, I don't have all the other stuff on this end. So let's do it together. Alpha, Alpha beta, beta, gamma, gamma delta, delta, epsilon, epsilon zeta, zeta, eta, eta theta, beta, iota, iota, kappa, kappa lambda, lambda, mu, nu, nu, nu xi, Omicron, Omicron P, 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 Rho, Rho, Sigma, Sigma, Tau, Tau. Upsilon, Phi, Phi, Chi, Psi, Psi, Omega. Omega. And the reason why I want to go over this numerous times is so that when you go home and you're working on remembering it, you'll remember how it's pronounced. You might not have it memorized, you may not go, go through it, you know, in order, but you'll have a place to start in learning. Now, we'll do it without... The, without the English letters telling you what it is, Alpha, Beta, Gamma, Delta, Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota, Kappa, Lambda, Mu, Nu, xi, Omicron, P, Rho, Sigma, Uh, final form sigma. Sigma. Tau. Tau. Upsilon. Upsilon. Phi. 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 Chi. Psi. Omega. All right. So that's all we're going to cover as far as stuff that you have to remember. This is more, in my opinion, this is where the fun stuff begins because I really love talking about God's Word. And I love sharing the insights. And if you were here, like I said, two weeks ago yesterday... And I did the uh, announcement for this class. Uh, some of this will be familiar because I went through it, um, two, two of the slides on that Sunday morning. I have no way, Jose. This is two different words. Ooh is one word. May is another word. Both of them mean no. Uh, there are rules about which one you use in what circumstance. Um, and actually next week we're going to be looking at these same words used separately. Another um, interesting insight into the Greek New Testament because not all translations indicate that. And we'll, we'll say that for next week though. But this is when you put both of them together. When you have two English negatives together, it turns into a positive, right? And I think I mentioned uh, when I gave the announcement two weeks ago, uh, there was a movie with Dan Blocker. He's the one who played Hoss Cartwright. And he was pretty aggravated about something. He said, I don't want to hear nothing about no wedding neither. I don't know how many that was, five or six of them. But basically, you got a very emphatic no <laughs> out of that. And in the same way, ooh, may, when you see both of them together, that is an emphatic no. That is no possible way. Now, most of the time, this is also followed by something. It's a verbal form that we haven't learned about yet. We're not going to worry about that. It's because it, it just happens that way. But there's another part to this, but we're not going to concentrate on that right now. We'll cover that when we get to verbs. But anyways, just no way, Jose, no possible way. It's the strongest way to negate something in Greek. Uh, If you have just ooh and a verb, it denies the certainty. But if you have ooh may, it denies the potentiality. It's not even possible, not even possible. This configuration of ooh may happens 94 times in 85 verses in the New Testament. Plus, there's a couple of variants. Ooh he, which is a form of ooh, Uhi Uchime shows up in Luke 18.30. And Udeme, uh, which is still another form of U, uh, shows up in Revelation 7.16, but it behaves the same way. It's still a very emphatic uh, no that denies the, pot- the, the potentiality. Now, if you look at the cover of the books that I that we provided, the very first one has the introduction to the Greek New Testament, Koine Greek. And down in the middle of the page, there's a block that, uh, of Greek, and it says, Ha uranos kai hege perleusatai hoi de lagoi mu ume perethoson. 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 I'll get it yet. Perelthoson. What it means is, and then the bottom down there, kata, is according to. Then the next word is Matthew, and then twenty four thirty five. So this is a quote from Matthew twenty four thirty five: "The heaven and the earth will pass away, but actually, this that's de. Whoops, I don't have it here. Uh, de is uh, but. And then we have to go back. To the, the hoy goes with log away. Uh, but the words of me, no possible way." Should they be uh, pass away? Should they pass away? And so the u may there is emphatic. No possible way, no potentiality at all that they will pass away. So yeah, my words will not at all, not even possibly pass away. That's the meaning of it. The King James version says. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Well, we have not. We understand that. Is that a bad translation? It's not a bad translation. We understand that. It's still a negative. No, his words aren't going to pass away. We got it. But what we're missing is that emphasis that they have with absolutely no potential at all for it. No way, Jose, is what I often say there. You don't pick that up there. The New Living Translation says, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. Okay, never is probably a little bit stronger than not the New King James says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Well, now we're getting to understanding the emphasis that's in the Greek text. We have a translation who's dealt with that. Now, that's not always the case. Most of the time I'll use the New King James here, and you'll see that it, they don't always indicate that for us. Um, John 11:26, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is Jesus talking to Martha. And he says, do you believe this? And so... We're looking at it and says, and all the ones living and the ones believing in me and we'll, when we cover pronouns we'll find out this is the emphatic me also. He's this is me underlined, exclamation point. Uh one who's living and believing in me Ume. No possible way that he would that he should die. Into the age. Into for forever. He will not die forever. And then this is the question. Believe you this? So, and that's, and we'll cover this next week too. That that looks like a semicolon, but that's a question mark in Greek. So, no possible way he will die forever. But we don't see that. Never die? Okay, never is probably... Stronger than not, but it's not as strong as no possible way. Okay, Romans four eight. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Okay, we got it. The under, the translation is not bad. We get it. That's a negative. But what we miss is the 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 emphasis that we have with Ume. Blessed is a man to whom the Lord no possible way he'll impute sin. That is a blessed thing to know that everything I've ever done will not be imputed to me. I rejoice in that, <laughs> and that's. The emphasis we see here, we see it in the Greek New Testament, we don't really see it conveyed that way at all in the New King James Version in in the English Translation. Hebrews 13.5, the New King James says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now this one is even a little bit more negative than that. I mean, The negative being, that's a positive, that I will never leave you or forsake you. But the negatives in that sentence, I will never, no possible way I will leave you. So here's, here's no possible way you, I will leave. And not, no possible way you, I will forsake. And so it is very, very strong. Uh, a lot of emphasis there in Greek, but it just doesn't come through in English translations. I don't want to sound like I'm really down on translations. I'm not. We have a number of good translations available, and I think you ought to read several. If you don't know Greek and don't know Hebrew, it's best to have several translations and compare them and get a better understanding for the Greek text that's under it. Um, We'll talk more about that as we get into more sessions. Um, But since we've this is actually a quote from the Old Testament, so I'm going to jump to the Old Testament here. This is from the LXX, the 70, this is the Septuagint, this is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures that was translated between 300 B.C. and 100 B.C. The verse in the last slide, Hebrews 13:5, is a quote from the Old Testament, so in case you're interested, the Septuagint... Okay, I just told you all that. It has 642 occurrences and 559 verses. But you have to keep in mind that the Septuagint also includes the Apocrypha. So that's, that number is inflated as far as our Old Testament is concerned. But here some examples. Again, the quotes are from the New uh, King James Version. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Did God say that there's no possible way that you should eat of every tree of the garden? He's actually emphasizing that. Genesis 6, 3, and the Lord said, my spirit will not. There's no possible way my spirit is going to strive with man forever. For he is indeed flesh and his years shall be 120. Okay? This is a pretty cool one. This is when Abraham is talking to God before uh, talking to the Lord. This is all capital letters, Yahweh. Yahweh. Uh, I believe it was Jesus that he was talking to before he went down to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he told Abraham he was going to do that, then Abraham said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And uh, he said, what if there's 50 righteous? And he said, would you, destroy the state? would you destroy the city of the 50 righteous along with the wicked? And God said, for the sake of those 50, I will not. And so that's what we're looking at. And he comes down, well, what if they're lacking five? We're just going to go through all these. But that's the context of what this is all coming from. Suppose there are less, five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the uh, destroy all the city for lack of the five? So meaning 45. Uh, and he said, if I find there 45... I will no way, Jose, no possible way I am going to destroy the city if there's 45 righteous there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose that there should be 40 found there. And he said, I no way, Jose, no possible way I'm going to destroy the city for the sake of the 40. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. He said, I will no way, Jose, no possible way I will destroy it for the sake of the 30 that are there. And he said, Indeed, I have now taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, No way, Jose. <laughs> I absolutely, positively will not. No possible way will I destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. He said, No possible way I will not destroy the city. No way, Jose. Well, I do it for the 10. And actually, if if Abraham had been a little bit more persistent, and even gotten down to one, God would have given him the same. No possible way will I destroy the city for the sake of one. How can I say this? Is this a just a speculation on my part? No. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells Jeremiah, "If you can find in Jerusalem one man, one man who will do what's right, one man who will stand up for what's just, if one man will, you know, walking in truth, I will, I will spare the whole city." And so, therefore, I know. God told Jeremiah that. I know that God would have told Abraham the same thing. For the sake of the one, I will not destroy the city. Sometimes I wonder, how come Erica can still be around with some of the stuff we have going on? It's because we're still here. Once the rapture happens, God's clear. (laughs) He's clear for the option. Okay, and then Malachi. I think this is the last one for the Septuagint. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that there is no possible way, no possible way that you should deal treacherously with your wife. So, very solid. But you don't, again, you don't see it in the translation, just like the others when I was going through here. Just not, 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 not. It's not a bad translation. But what we lack is seeing the emphasis that's in the original language. Okay, then going back to the New Testament again. I, I threw the Old Testament in there because we looked at Hebrews. They had the, It was a quote. Revelation 2.11. Again, the New King James Version. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will no possible way, no way, Jose is he going to be hurt by the second death. That's comforting to know. Second death being the lake of fire. Revelation 3.12. Again, New King James Version. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. This particular promise is very near and dear to my heart. Whenever the Queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon, her breath was taken away by what she saw. When she saw the attendants and she saw all of his servants, the way he had his tables, and the way he had everything, she was just amazed at the wisdom of Solomon, his answers to all of her questions and everything. She was It took her breath away is what the scriptures say. And she said, how blessed are your servants who just tend to you and take care of you and listen to your wisdom all day long. And I, I think about that and I think about he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will go out no more. And I think to be before God forever and have the, the power that created the universe, the wisdom of God wash over me year after year through eternity. Uh, that's cool. <laughs> that is cool. But it's anyway, and he shall, no way, no possible way will he go out more. And I'll write unto him the name of my God and the name of my city, uh, name of the city of my God and the the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and I will write on him my new name. So anyway. Now we're going to talk about ooh and may next week, but they're not, not together. Uh, we're going to look at ooh and how it's used because there's some special circumstances. Really cool. And again, very few translations would communicate how this is used. It has to do with negative questions. We'll look at that next week. So your homework. Memorize the alphabet. You want to remember the name. That's an alpha. Don't call it an A like I did in class. I didn't do it again after you called me a barbarian. I never did it again. Uh, but memorize the name. Uh, memorize what it looks like in lowercase. Be able to uh, pronounce it and write it out. And it would be good to even memorize them in order so that you can just go through the alphabet. Um, and then the concepts, pronunciation concepts that are in your notes, that's a good place to start. We'll have more next week. And that's it. You want to go over one more time? We have three minutes. It's not quite 8 o'clock. Go over one more time. All right. Alpha. Beta. Gamma. Delta. Epsilon. Zeta. Eta. Theta. Iota. Kappa, Kappa, Lambda, Lambda Mu, Mu, Nu, nu, nu Chi, C, Omicron, Omicron P, P, P. Rho, Sigma, Tau, Tau. Upsilon, upsilon Filles, 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 Phi, Chi, Psi, Xi, Omega. All right. So there you are. You have your homework. And uh, if you have any questions, let me know. It's about two minutes to eight. I'm going to try to be done by 8, but there are some weeks we might be closer to 8.15, but I'm really going to try to hold it to that hour to not more than an hour and 15 minutes. Okay? Thanks for coming. It's great to see you all. I'm looking forward to getting to know you better, too. My email.